I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I truly mean that. I'm not just trying to quote a scripture. I truly mean it. It has been a while since I've been in the literal uh, sanctuary, but I have been in my sanctuary at home. Um, we are continuing our uh, love series. We've been hearing about uh, love for the uh, month of February. And my subject matter uh, today is matters of the heart. Um, for the past several years, um, my husband sets a theme for the home, and we meditate on that theme and talk about that theme for the entire year. So for the year of 2020, he set the theme for the house that was matters of the heart. And we didn't know a pandemic was coming, but it gave us the opportunity to really have some heart-to-heart -heart intense conversations. And we were dealing with our own thoughts and intents of our hearts, and we would share with each other. And during those conversations, we had conversations of joy, and we had conversations of pain. And in those conversations, we discovered that it deepened us individually to be able to confront those things and talk about them. And then it also deepened our marriage, it deepened our relationship. So we love each other, the best way I can describe it is from a deeper portal now as a result of that. So for the year 2021, the theme he set was stay the course. So we're continuing matters of the heart, but it's a focus on renewing the mind. In other words, a heart and mind coherence. And one of the things we were dealing with, Champ, our youngest son, he's 19, he'll be 20 soon, uh, we were dealing with him was being grateful. And we would talk to him about it and then tell him to go back and work on himself because he's not quite there yet. So uh, he'd come back and talk to him some more. And he's got a really deep voice. I think he's got the deepest voice in the house. And, um, he would, and I, we would talk, and he would say, Mom, I'm grateful. Mom, I am grateful. And I would say, Tam, it, it doesn't sound authentic. You're saying it with your lips. You're saying it in your mind. But it's not really coming from a, a, in your heart. So go back and work on yourself. And so he would, you know, work on himself, and we'd talk some more. And we'd, we'd talk about him being grateful because he really needed to deal with that. And we were trying to get him to understand that you don't have to have everything to be grateful, but to be grateful for what you have. And he, 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 he struggled, but he was trying. So we'd send him back. And after a long, tedious trials and times, toward around September, when we would ask him, champ, you know, are you grateful? Are you grateful for what you have? And we could, I could see it in his countenance. I could hear it in his tone. He was coming from a place of authenticity. 
And he would say, Mom, I am grateful. I'm grateful, Mom. So I thank God for that. And Trey is uh, our oldest son. Life taught him a lesson about gratefulness. We sent him to uh, college in Hollywood, California, a few years ago. And he stayed uh, out there because of the pandemic, some changes, yada, yada. But being out there and having to sustain his budget, I did slip him some money. His father wasn't really concerned, but I did slip him some sometimes. But he saw so many homeless people in California, in Los Angeles. And when I say they are literally all over the place, just experiencing that is just so shocking. They, you can go down the main strip in Hollywood that we see on TV, everybody talks about it. Take a turn and go two blocks down and there's homeless camps set up. So that experience taught him a lesson about gratefulness. So we've been, so this year is our heart and mind coherence and just being thankful and matters of the heart, we continue. So my theme today is matters of the heart. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Matters of the heart. I'm going to uh, read a story, the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. It's taken from St. Luke, the 10th chapter. We'll be starting at uh, verses 25 through 29 in the NIV. On one occasion, an expert in the law, this is the scene before the story, the parable. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It's a lot of with all and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer was not finished yet. He said, but the lawyer wanted to justify himself. So he asked, Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So rather than Jesus giving a cut and dry, black and white answer, he chose some complexity. Since the expert thought he was being complex, it's my intellect is telling me that Jesus answered with some complexity. And Jesus answered in the form of a story. Now, I am a storyteller. Stories in the Bible help us understand and gives us answers to life's difficulties. In the words of our elder here, Elder Gary Bell, stories help us look at ourselves, not anyone else ourselves. And that's what this is about today. Not matters of the person sitting next to you's heart, but matters of your heart. 
Six, about 60% of the Bible is in stories. So the message today is in the story. So let's hear what Jesus replied. The expert wanted to know, and who was my neighbor? So Jesus replied, this is the story, story of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a good Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil and wine, then put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the keeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you of any extra, any extra expense you may have. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said unto him, go and do likewise. So our story begins with a certain man. The scripture does not indicate his name. It was just an ordinary man. His economic status, his social status, just an ordinary man. And this certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, the Jericho Road is notorious for danger and difficulty. The road, is it possible that it represents the road of life, the life experience? Because we know that our life experience, the life experience, has pitfalls and dangers. And we can read Proverbs and hear about the wisdom of how to avoid these dangers and pitfalls. The scripture says the certain man fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothes and wounded him. By, by reasoning, he not only sustained a physical wound, but he sustained psychological and emotional wounds on this road of life, the Jericho Road. The scripture says that the thieves left him half dead. Now the writer of the story was a physician. 
Luke. So when you say half dead, people like me in the medical field, I get visuals. I get visuals. I know what half dead looks like. I've uh, worked uh, probably 10 years during my career in um, intensive care. And I've seen the thin veil between life and death that Luke is talking about in this story. And I noticed in that state that people are not talking about how much money they made. They're not talking about how much fun that they've had. But they want to talk to their religious leader, and they ask you to call. Call my pastor. Call. They want to talk to family members. And they're dealing with matters of the heart. One man wanted his brother so they can reconcile. There was some forgiveness that needed to take place there. In that place between life and death, he was half dead. Elizabeth Kugler-Ross, a pioneer in near-death studies, and an expert from unconditional love, remembering what's most important, said two things the person in the near-death experience deals with. How much love you have been able to give and receive. These are the issues that are playing out. How much love matters of the heart You're, that you were able to give and receive and how much service you have rendered. How much service have you rendered? These are the issues when somebody is in that state. So concentrate on love while you are still around. Let's look at Luke 10, verse 27 again. Look at it in a little more detail. So the command is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. For some people, that portion is easy. It would be better if a period was after your mind and we stopped right there. But the commandment doesn't stop right there. That's not, that's not the whole commandment. It, it, the, the end part goes with the top part. So it's, and love your neighbor as yourself. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I have a lot of love for myself. If you ask me on a scale of 1 to 10, Vernon, how much do you love yourself? I would say set the scale higher. You must go higher. If you ask me, Verna, from 1 to 1,000, I'm being honest, how much do you love yourself? Then I would say set the scale higher. You must go higher. 
So in your frustration, if you asked me, Verna, from one to a Google, how much do you love yourself? I would say set the scale higher. You must go higher. So how does one love your neighbor as yourself? This is a certain level of mastery. Let me say that again. This is a certain level of mastery. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the self-actualized person has the capacity to love his neighbor as himself. Let me say that again. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that highest point, self-actualization, one of those components is the capacity to love your neighbor as yourself. Still didn't answer the question. So how do you love your neighbor as yourself? When you see them, when you look into your eyes, you have to see that they have value. You have to see that they have worth. You have to see that they have dreams. You mean that homeless man? All those homeless people we saw in Los Angeles? Yes. That was somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's child. You have to see that they have goals, see that they have life. In other words, here's the hard part. You must see them as your equal. You must see them as your equal. And I'll, I'll throw this out there and we'll move on. But when you see someone as your equal, this is a very powerful principle in praying for somebody. Try it. You might be surprised. So the story talks about four people. We hear of the, the certain man, the injured man, Scripture also, the story tells us about the priest, the Levite, and the Good Samaritan. There are many theological and philosophical reasons why the priest and the Levite did not help the wounded man. So I would not condemn them. I would not make condemning comments against them. And I will not make justifiable comments against them. But rather, let's focus on the one who Jesus focused on in the parable. Out of the three, he focused on the Good Samaritan, who demonstrated love by helping his neighbor. And as I close, let's look at Luke, the 10th chapter, uh, verse 33 in the King James Version. But a certain Samaritan, the scripture says, as he journeyed, and I believe that the journey that he was on, it was an outward journey, but was, it was also an inward journey, matters of the heart. 
And I say to you with profound conviction today that the greatest journey that you will ever take in life will be the journey within. It's not the journey around the world. It's the journey within. It's matters of the heart. As he journeyed, came where the wounded man was and saw him and had compassion on him. What made him stop? It certainly wasn't the norm. It wasn't the majority. What made, what made him stop? What would make you stop? Was his moral code alarming him to do something, to do something, to do something? Was it a moment when the power of love outweighed the love of power? It was love that lifted the wounded man. Love lifted him. The hymn says, love lifted me. Love lifted the wounded man. The Samaritan saw him as his equal when he saw him. Just like God so loved us that he rescued us. As I close. So what do I do with this message? What, 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 do, I, what, do, I, what do I do with this? We're in a pandemic right now. Is there anything that you can do to help somebody, to help your neighbor? Something as simple as going to the grocery store for them because they're, they have health conditions and they don't need to uh, be out in the public. Maybe watch somebody's child. Is there, is there something that you can do to help your neighbor? Some may say, well, that's the government's job. Wait, let's let the government do it. But I've been following this country's national debt for probably about seven or eight years. We were already, seven or eight years ago, the government was in an astonishing amount of debt. And with the pandemic and all the stimulus checks and everything that they have put out with the pandemic, the fund, the debt is astronomical. I won't even get into that right now. So, but the government can't do everything. Well, you might say, well, let all the church leaders all over the city get together, all over the world get together and do something. It's not enough. Now, let me give you a visual. Everybody in here, would you please just put, just put your hands up? Put your hands up. You at home, put your hands up, please. Now look around, look at all the hands that's up. Those are the hands that it's going to take to get the job done, to help each other, to love one another. Do what matters, matters of the heart.